This is the Career Realities Podcast with me, Ethan Crane, a series of interviews that attempts to contrast the realities of modern nine-to-five careers with how they are presented to graduates and school children. Traditional careers advice tells us if you work hard at school and university, this is the ticket to a life of fulfilling work. But as my interviewees demonstrate, it is not as simple as that. In these interviews, we reveal how fulfilment in traditional careers, however good they seem from the outside, is always hampered by the culture of work. And my interviewees show from their own choices how genuinely fulfilling work comes from the work you discover for yourself. These career reality interviews are a complement to my book, The Tyranny of Careers and the Joy of Work. More essays and information on the book can be found at www.ethancrane.com. That's Crane, C-R-A-N-E. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So uh, today on the Careers Realities podcast, I'm talking to Edwina Bracken. And uh, thanks for agreeing to talk to me for the first uh, first podcast, Edwina. That's no problem. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay. So anyway, I know Edwina as a painter and a former full-time teacher. But the uh, the first question that I kind of wanted to ask, because um, it's a question that all of us get asked all the time, is how do you describe yourself in terms of work that you do? How do you answer the question when people say, uh, what do you do? What do you say to people? Well, now I would say um, I'm an artist. And usually people say, OK, well, what kind of an artist? And I would say I'm a painter and sometimes I make installations. And usually what follows then is, oh, that's very interesting. And, and what else do you do? <laughs> right. OK. <laughs> so they don't really believe that that's kind of a good job description in some ways. I don't think people believe that you can get by and make money. Um, and to be fair, it's quite difficult. You do need some other string to your bow. So before we talk about the painting work that you do now, first of all, I'd like to go back and talk about when you worked as a full-time teacher. I'm kind of interested in when you first became a teacher and when you when you went to teach training, what was um, what was the differences between what you expected out of a teaching job and what the actual realities were when you went into the teaching? Because this, this is another thing I'm interested in, is what, how people view the profession they're going into and, and what actually happens when they get into it. What were the differences there for you? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I was sitting in Dublin at the time really wondering about how I was going to move forward with my career. And... Um, as someone who had done a degree in art, but I wasn't getting very far, um, I, did, I didn't really know how to be self-employed at that time. I was in my early 20s then. And, um, and I, yes, I didn't know how to be an artist, I guess. And I was definitely doing different types of jobs, you know, just to, to make some money. And a friend of a friend said, suggested that I look at teaching. And I thought... Um, that's interesting, actually, because it's something that's related to my area of interest, you know, to do to teach art, to teach art and design um, would be connected to my my field, but it would be a steady income. And and with the time off that you get with teaching, um, I thought, oh, I could I could really fit this in. I could fit my other um, art, art career in around the paid teaching work. So that was my my idea really and then the more I thought about the I you know I 
applying for to become a teacher I thought about my own experience in school and what kind of a teacher I would like to be and I became more and more interested in teaching um, for itself and um, so I went and I did the course and I was really overwhelmed at, at the scope of the job it was a much heavier labor intensive job than I had imagined from the outside and you found this whilst you were training as well, did you? When you, it was horrendously difficult. To train. <laughs> yeah, um, there was one teacher who, when you te- when you learn how to be a teacher, you are given a mentor in um in this in one of the school in a school that you go to, and uh, she told she, well, my mentor at the time after my very first lesson teaching year eight children who are probably about twelve, um an art lesson on collage um i was i was white the face at the end of the lesson and when the, all the children had left the classroom she said to me go home now and have a gin and tonic <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'll permit you to have a gin and tonic every single day of your of your of your training <laughs> and of your teaching life as well maybe <laughs> So it was really hard and and I did think and I did question her actually I said how long does it take because it was incredibly tiring um, you go to school every day you teach these lessons and then you go home in the evening and you prepare and research for the lessons for the next day and you do the marking and you know sometimes you're up until 12 o'clock at night it's it's quite full on um, and I did say to her when when does this become easy when does it become kind of okay you know like I was comparing it to doing a nine-to-five job like I'd done before you know um and she said oh it takes about three years and and uh, I remember that because after about three years I thought yeah yeah this is okay this is kind of about right because I can go to work I can do my job I can come home and do my marriage and I can still have an evening then of my own life and I can have um, a weekend so it took about three years to get to that stage but before that it was just full on all the way and every holiday we had we used to get sick right you I've know, heard that from other teachers yeah <laughs> down you know yeah you'd always get a cold or a flu or something and how did your um how did your kind of painting work go whilst you were being a teacher you know you said you thought you'd have the holidays and to, yeah. to do it and did that work out uh, no non-existent I didn't <laughs> right. do anything I didn't because it took that long to really get into the swing I didn't do any painting or any of my own work for for about five years because I thought it the teaching job was so intensive that the holiday time would come around and you would just fit in the other things that you would do in your life, <laughs> like DIY and home improvements or <laughs> yeah. going on holidays or doing the things that you didn't have time to do when you were teaching. Um, so it did feel like it took about five years and then I started to sort of make work again, but very slowly and very gradually. So so how, how did you end up back doing being an artist again like you are now what I mean how what pushed you into 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 doing the role that you're doing at the moment um well there was a couple of things I suppose I decided to, to you know to return to 
to making my own work, which was always there. The desire to do that was always there. Um, and then I had, I found I had more time. I was able to fit it in with my teaching commitments as my career kind of progressed and I became more confident in my teaching um, role um, and, and adept at time management, I guess, is the other thing. Um, but sort of around, I'd say after seven or eight years of teaching full time, I decided to 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 go part time and to look at devoting a bit more time to my own practice. And um, having done that for a couple of years, I suppose I realised that I couldn't move forward with my, my own um, art practice if I remained working within that kind of stricture that that the teaching job dictates, you know, constantly. You're, you know where you're going to be on the 1st of September. You can't really deviate from the plan, um, ir- irrespective of being part-time. So that's that's kind of what led to me deciding to um, to try and go full-time in my own art practice, really. And what, what sort of... I'm thinking about, you know, someone who might be listening to this and thinking, I've got a full-time or part-time job at the moment, and it's it's difficult making that first leap to thinking I'm going to actually commit commit you know most of my time to this work I want to do so what were the sort of psychological barriers you felt you had to overcome in order to do that um I think I think yeah when you become I felt I was slightly institutionalized because I worked in teaching for 10 years and on one hand, knowing where you're going to be on the 1st of September can be quite frustrating, but on the other hand, it's really reassuring because you know that you're going to have a fixed income and it's reliable. So so I had to really sort of come around to the idea that that would be a liberating experience rather than something to be afraid of. And was it? Did, how did you find that? Yes, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> And what about the sort of the the sort of financial implications, like you just said, you know, the idea that you don't have like a regular income coming in at the end of each month. How how did how did that feel sort of psychologically to deal with? I I mean, I suppose I really I I took me about three years to prepare for that, actually. Um, I think I I think I decided three years before I did actually leave my job that I would do this. And I just tried to make provision. Um, through savings to try and get me through the first first bit of time um, and I really looked at my lifestyle and um, and, and cut, cut out a lot of things that um, I could in order to save for the for the event of having no income and, and what sort of could you sort of tell us what sort of things what did you have to change as far as you know financially what sort of things did you cut out yeah, well, I mean, I I had my own um, I had my own property, so I sold that. So I don't have a mortgage now, <laughs> and I. But before I sold the the property, I um. I just got rid of lots of things that you might have in your, you know, like like Sky Television and phones and all the bills that you can sort of try and cut away, and I really pared down what I was spending and, um, and you know, sold things, did lots of car boot sales. Um, I really pushed the sales of my of my kind of back catalogue in my my artwork and managed to sell um lots of lots of paintings and, you know, just really um 
bunkered up a fund to buy myself time to work in the studio free of 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 having to do paid work initially and um yeah i mean it as i said it took three years for me to feel confident to do it eventually that i had enough saves that i could go and do it and now that you're now that you're sort of a working artist and you're you know you that means obviously you don't have a regular income um still yeah. but even though you might you're making sort of enough at times to live on how how does that feel now sort of like you know that regular income's really sort of kind of stopped is that is that kind of okay to to deal with in comparison to having a, a full-time salary when you were when you were working uh no it's scary. <laughs> it is scary um it you know at times of moments where you really feel this is not great but then there are other times when it feels you know you know what something's around the corner it's fine things will work out okay and you know if I've got qualifications and I have skills that I can rely on and fall back on um, if I needed to. Um, so for me, it's just about maintaining the the momentum of carrying on rather than getting too scared and going back into a full-time paid situation. I need to keep telling myself to carry on. you could explain a bit about how an artist can make money from their work do you make enough money from painting to live on say not always no so right yeah because I because I uh, used to be a teacher I have that qualification and I can use that uh, sometimes in um, on a freelance basis where I can go into schools and um and run projects and one day workshops and I I have a few of those jobs lined up in the next month or two so that's that's kind of a way of making money but sometimes it can be um you know working with community groups as well because it's a really valuable skill to have have been a teacher um and it's I suppose it's a reality that uh, you need some form of kind of income to supplement the the um, artistic pursuits. If we're kind of trying to give people an understanding of of being an artist as a living, how much would you say you kind of what percentage of your of your making a living do you make from doing art, and what do you make from whatever other work you can you can find for yourself? It's it's difficult to quantify that actually because you find that. For if, if you're if you're working on a project, your own work, you can be working on that for months, just intensely, and then at the end of that project, you have quite a lot of of artworks out there, you know, that you've made. So for the following period of time, you're looking at marketing that and exhibiting that work, and and perhaps selling it, but but mainly showing it, because it's worth more sometimes to show your work in more places than it is to sell it okay but but the the actual kind of getting it out there i mean that that can be a a very time-consuming job just the idea of marketing the work and making it visible and writing proposals to galleries and um venues where you might like to show the work so so making it is one big chunk of time and then kind of 
having it as a, as a um, commodity, if you like, um, is another chunk of time. And then in the in between all that, you still have to get by, right, and pay right. your bills. So, so kind of ad hoc work is probably more of a reality. And um, and going going forward in the in the world of you know being an artist, it's it's really valuable to be able to go away and do residencies. Um, which, which, and what a residency is, is usually um, if a an institution decides that they'd like to have an artist come and visit and work in their um, premises for maybe a month or three months or whatever. And at the end of that th- period, you would have a body of work or a project that you've made and then they would exhibit that. And usually you are, you are paid to do that. So imagine that you are working in a in a job kind of a regular monday to friday or monday to wednesday job and then you have to um head off to somewhere remote maybe like or another country even to do a residency uh you can't keep that job going so you kind of have to balance it between making some money here and there and being free to take up opportunities that are available to artists now so it kind of limits the sort of work that you might take for money. Sort of, you, there's some things you just wouldn't consider because they wouldn't allow you to do the other the other work that you do if you did take them. Yeah, it's really hard to know what to do, actually. Right. <laughs> it's that decision, you know. And I, I find that a lot of jobs that I would like to do are full time jobs, you know. Right. Okay. Full, and I can't do them because clearly I would have no time to to make my work research it and then and then push it out there so it's it can be it can be a real tough uh call actually a decision but that, that's kind of interesting actually because when you say that you know you get you get um there are some full-time jobs that come up that you would like to take but you don't take them because you know they would interrupt your painting work that you want to do i'm kind of interested in that because that's one of the things which i was writing in the book was saying that you know it's it's kind of better to judge the work that you take for money by how it fits around the work you really want to do rather than whether it's a good job by some other terms or whatever sometimes it seems like a really good job it seems like it might be interesting but actually it's the actual hours that you do and the and how long it's going to last for which are much more important and so yeah. that, that's kind of what you said that's kind of decides whether you take these jobs or not really I suppose so when when you when you get the kind of these residency jobs and the other the other sort of work you talked about, how how does that work come about? Is it stuff you see advertised, or how how do you find that work? Yes, it is advertised. Um, usually, sometimes things lead from one thing to another, but usually um, you just tr- you're you're trawling through opportunity pages on the on the internet and okay. several different newsletters that are specifically mailed out to artists so that would mean um you know there's specific exhibits that are coming up and they're looking for artists to submit uh, works that might fit with that theme similarly there are calls for residencies yeah um so i mean but competition for these things are very you know they're, they're very high yeah. and um so you can spend a lot of time writing and writing and writing and kind of not getting, not getting your answers, not getting, not getting anywhere. <laughs> no, sure, yes. So I suppose my sure. my final question that would be, um, I want want to know really is, 
what would you, if you were to meet your 18, 20 year old self now, what would you tell them to do differently? It's a, to, that would lead you to what you're doing now as opposed to maybe the working route that you ch- you had through your 20s? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think I probably, I think, you know, I said earlier, I didn't know how to be self-employed when I came out of university age 22. Um, and I think if I was to go back in time, um, I would say to my younger self, find somebody who is and look for a mentor. Because I think mentors are so valuable, even if it's not in in art. I think just to look at how somebody kind of can work for themselves and the way to manage your time, to, to kind of develop a work, work ethic. What do you do on a Monday morning? What do you do on a Friday evening? Um, and in between. I think I would look, I think I would tell myself to find somebody like that and and really ask questions about, about being self-employed because I don't, don't think it matters really what it is that you do. But if you decide that you're going to work for yourself and not for somebody else, you need to find some practical ways into that. And would, would you would you have any kind of, you know, advice for knowing what you know now as to how to find a mentor like that? How, what would you, how would you suggest people go about that? Oh, networking is is crucial i again i didn't know how to network when i was that age I was so really... what do you what do you mean by networking well networking is is a really interesting concept and i think sometimes it gets a really bad press because people see seem sometimes think that it's a kind of a what can you i scratch your back what can you do for me you know so some kind yeah, of it's kind of schmoozing of, sort of idea yeah, some kind of yeah. Schmoo- yeah. <laughs> but really it's not i mean we have networks everywhere and um I mean, today, young people are, are so network savvy because they have Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of the um, social media networks. But your network is your family, who you, who you can ask questions to. And then from there, who do they know? And I think that that really helps. But also speaking to people about what you're doing in any situation leads to connections and networks. So, you know, wherever you are socially or wherever you're happen to be I think it's important to have the confidence to say who you are and what you're doing and what you're interested in and you never know where that leads so and so do you who who would you have told your 18 year old self to go and talk to if you if you can remember you know remember how because because I, I can remember being 18 and thinking I would have no knowledge or the confidence just to go go around and speak to people but who, who would you what sort of people would you would you suggest that you get in contact with um, well, I think I think I would have. Um, I mean, when I was in university first time round, I um, I would have probably availed of my tutors a bit more. I would have looked at the the kind of people, the the, the professionals in the um, in the art institution that I studied in a little bit more um, as a route into other connections. I would have asked asked more help from them. Um, secondly, I think I would have looked around and and probably. Um, looked at my family and their connections a little bit more. Um, I I didn't come from a, a family of artists, so I suppose at that time I thought, well, they don't know about art, so what are they going to? How are they going to help me? But you know, they they could have, of course, they could have. Um, and and other friends, I guess, uh, and even part time jobs I did. I worked in bars and 
you always meet interesting people in in shops and bars and things like that. And I I didn't avail of those contacts or those networks then. I suppose the idea is that when you're 18, you think, oh, who's going to pay any attention to me? I'm just this stupid 18 year old. But actually, actually, people love being asked to be mentors, I think, don't they? They they really appreciate people asking them for help. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realise how much they have to how, how much knowledge they actually have to offer until they're asked for it. And it's very flattering to be asked as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Someone to ask you of your knowledge and say, can you can you help me out with this by yeah. by these energetic 18-year-olds is, is actually very, yeah, it's actually a very nice thing to happen to you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. of course, yeah. So um, also, I suppose I'd, I'd be thinking if I was talking to my 18-year-old self, if you were talking to your 18-year-old self, what would you suggest to them about going to university nowadays? You know, given that, it's a very expensive thing to do and it's, you know, you, you take out large student loans to do so. Do you think you would advise yourself to go to university if you know what you know now? You know what? No, probably not. Um, I was really lucky. I, had, I, I was able to avail a free education in Ireland at that time. Um, and if I had to pay for that or if my parents had to pay for it or I had to take out a loan, I'm not quite sure I would have gone in so readily because the loans that students face today in the UK are astronomical. The idea of owing £30,000 or something when you leave a degree is really daunting and I think having done a, a, a BA and then a PGCE and also a Masters I think I probably would, would wait a little while um, and have some earning capacity behind me maybe. But then the flip side of that is it's difficult for younger people who leave school and do not have a university education to, to get jobs in a recession. And also probably to gain that confidence from university to meet all these other people and make lots of these connections that you were talking about before. Like, I can see how lots of that wouldn't happen if you didn't go to university as well. It's very hard to see how you can make that happen for you in other areas that, that aren't higher education, really. Yes, because edu- uh, university education gives you an opportunity to meet people from lots of different backgrounds and also different age groups because lots of different ages go to university. You can, you can be in a classroom um, or a lecture hall with with lots of people your own age if you're a school leaver, but also mature students and, and um, you know, a, a whole range of ages in between. Um, and, um, and just different backgrounds, different lifestyles. And especially if you leave home and go to a different city for your university, I think uh, it gives you a great opportunity to stand on your own two feet, but you've got you've also got this safety net around you, you know, so you can kind of live in halls maybe for the first year and you've got your friends around who are all in the same, doing the same thing and in the same boat and sort of develop your social skills. So, I mean... I think university is a great uh, experience to have. It's just a shame it costs so much right now. But like, so like you say, maybe the the answer is to wait a little while and and a few years and see see if you still want to go for one thing. I suppose isn't it like uh, after three or four years, but but also to see how you might support yourself whilst you're there. Is that that's what you're saying? Is it? Yeah, but yeah. but also, I mean. I mean, I'm I'm talking from personal experience. I loved my university education and my experience there. But uh, but having been a teacher and been teaching, having taught A level students who are deciding on courses and deciding to go to, go to university, 
um, I was struck a lot by how often people were very unsure of what courses they wanted to do and they were faced with with the dilemma of, of paying for, of, of you know taking it a loan to go and do a course but they weren't quite convinced that this might be the right course for them but the um, expectation maybe in the family and you know in society is that you should you should go if you can if you have good grades you should go um, to university so it's a difficult one to call because time away from school and out in the workplace might might allow someone to decide oh god I you know I thought I wanted to do um such and such but now I really think I might want to do something else entirely so they haven't wasted that time and money by making the wrong choice initially yeah because it's, a, it's um, a young age isn't it to to actually decide what you're gonna if you're unsure it doesn't seem you seem to be you feel like you need to be a little bit sure about what it is you want to do if you're if you're not if you're not really sure then maybe it's like you say it's right to wait and wait a little yeah. while until you find out yeah yeah because when I was doing my leaving search which is the a-level equivalent I wanted to be a dentist. Okay, right. So why <laughs> didn't you become a dentist? Chemistry and biology <laughs> and all the rest of it, and and I really found chemistry in particular really difficult. And I was, I'm not quite sure I should be doing this. And I was <laughs> filling out all these applications to do science, medicine at university, and then the last minute I went, no, I think I'll do an art. I'll do art. <laughs> so were you not? You were not actually. As in, art was just as kind of a second choice in some ways, was it at the time when you when you thought to yeah, do it? Well, I mean, in school, like certainly at the time, a lot of people. Why why would you do art when? How are you going to make money at that? That was the attitude, really. And I didn't have the answer at seventeen. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't able to say, "Oh, I can do art and I'll make money this way." I didn't know, so I had to sort of. I went. I went down that line for a while, but then I knew it was it wouldn't be the right path for me because clearly, I'm not a chemist. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it, um, so I I said, oh, I can't do this. So I did my chemistry exams and all that, but I didn't opt to do that at university. And I was lucky that free education at, at university level was in, was introduced at that time. So, you know, I was able to do that course that I wanted to do without any um, financial ramifications. So what, I mean, obviously now, now art and painting is, is the thing that you really like to do and you've kind of discovered that and you, you, you said that, you know, you, it wasn't completely obvious to you when you were 18, that's what, what you wanted to do. What, what sort of, if we were trying to pinpoint what the factors were that made you understand that's what you wanted to do, what would you say they were? You know, how how is it when you're when you're younger, you're a teenager, or in your twenties or something? How is it you get to understand this? What this thing is that might be the thing which carries you through the rest of your life? What would what was it for you that made you understand that what that's art was going to be the thing for you? Uh, you know, I think it's because I was just a daydreamer. I was just constantly daydreaming about about um, abstract ideas, I, I guess, and. You know, I, 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 felt, I, I found that I was just, my mind was wandering all the time about what it would be like to do different artworks, really. And I, you know, so while I should have been doing, studying for certain other things, I was constantly doodling. And I, and I, I suppose I just realised this is, this is what my mind wants to do. Not dentistry. <laughs> yeah. 
dentistry. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, but I wouldn't want to be one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all be very interesting, Emily. Really, thank you. And thanks for being the first interviewee on Career Realities. And uh, thank you for talking to us. My pleasure. Thank you very much. To find out more about Edwina's painting work, go to www.edwinabracken.com or you can find it on Twitter at Edwina Bracken. You have been listening to the Career Realities Podcast with me, Ethan Crane. For more books, podcasts and writing on the tyranny of careers and the joy of work, please see www.ethancrane.com. Thank you for listening.